Father, we just thank you so much because we are so blessed for what you've done for us, how you gave your only begotten son that, that a long length of life, Lord, but, but uh, that abundant life that only you can give through him. Father, we are so, so uh, privileged to be your children. And, and Lord, as, as uh, we're going to learn today, you went all in for us, Lord. There's, there's, there's no doubt about it. You put everything you had uh, everything you could in order to save us. And Lord, uh, as you're going to show us today through this word, that, that our response should be that we go all in for you. Lord, if there's people here that are riding the fence today that, that uh, might not know you as their Savior, Lord, I ask that today be the day of their salvation, that you just open their hearts in a special way to receive this word. For all of us that, who are born again, though, Lord, I, it's just such a ec- great exhortation here to to, to live a holy life, to live as you would have us to live. So, Lord, there's just so many good truths in this little text, and, and Lord, we can only learn these truths by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I ask you that you open our hearts and ears up to your word today in a very special way. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Now, if you've ever played the poker game called Texas Hold'em, don't raise your hand. I actually used to play it myself before I was saved, and uh, I'm not here recommending the game. I'm not here suggesting that you play the game. In fact, I don't believe in gambling. I I think gambling is is wrong in the sense that somehow we're taking uh, something without work. We're taking something from somebody else, and if you win, there's always a loser. So in that sense, gambling is wrong. But with that said, if you've ever watched someone play Texas Hold'em, or if you've played Texas Hold'em, there's this move in the game called all in. And when the player goes all in, what he does, he takes all his money and all his chips and he bets everything he has on that hand that he has, he's holding in his hands. I mean, he goes all in. And if you've ever watched some of these guys on TV, they're playing for millions of dollars and they'll take a million dollars and push it out on the table and they go all in. Now, why does a player go all in? Well, he goes all in. Well, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, he's stupid. I mean, he's, he's one of these guys who, who has a hunch or a whim, and uh, he's just playing that hunch or whim. But the guys like that won't last long in the game, I can tell you right now. The second reason a player might go all in is because he thinks he'll scare the, because he's bluffing, and he thinks he can scare the other players into folding their hands, even if they have the winning hand. If he puts enough chips in there, he scares them and, and, and so they back off. But the third reason, and the reason most players go all in, is because they're absolutely confident that they have the winning hand. Well, if you've ever played poker, you know that, that it's very rare you can be confident that you actually have the winning hand because the only true winning hand is a royal flush, and very, very few people get that. Now, what in the world does all of that have to do with uh, First Peter? Well, Peter is going to teach us how to play Texas Hold'em. That's not the reason. But this serves as a great illustration of what God has done for us. Just think about it. God emptied himself of his glory. He came to Bethlehem as a little babe. He grew up to become a man so that he could die on the cross. And you remember that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and how he sweated blood, and how he was was fretting over what he was going to have to do, how his soul was troubled. 
And he had a decision to make. And there were, he had two choices. He could either walk away and just say, you know, that's it. I'm not going to go through this. Or he could go all in. And you know what he did. We all know what he did. What did he do? He went all in. I mean, he put everything on the line. And he did that for you and me. You know, he didn't do it because he was stupid. He didn't do it because it was some whim he had. It was some emotional play that he made in the game of life. He didn't look up and say, you know, I think if I'm going to save people, this is what I'll do. We're going to see today. This was the plan laid before the foundation of the world, this plan of salvation. So it wasn't a whim. He wasn't stupid. He didn't do it because he was bluffing. You know, a lot of people believe he's just bluffing. You know, when we say that the cross is the only way, there's no other name under heaven whereby man can be saved, that that's just a bluff. No, he wasn't bluffing. He went all in because it was the winning hand. It was the only winning hand. It was the only way we could be saved. And you, he went all in so that he could win the prize. What's the prize he won? You me, that was his prize. He went all in for you and me. So, let me ask you today. What should our response be? If God went all in for us, what should our response be? We should go all in for him. And that's what Peter's teaching us. Because you look down at verse number 13 of chapter number 1 of First Peter. He says, therefore... And whenever we see the therefore, we ask what's the therefore is therefore. And it usually applies to the preceding things that we've learned, to the preceding text. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what's he done for us that we should go all in? Well, Peter's been showing us. He says, since you're the elect, since you're the elect of God, since you've been chosen by God before the foundation of the world, you should go all in. Since uh, you've been begotten by God, since you've been given the life of God, you should go all in. Since you have this living hope of Christ in you, and you love him even though you haven't seen him, you should go all in. Since your salvation is incorruptible, it's reserved for you in heaven, then you should go all in. Since you're kept by his power and you're blessed so much that the prophets wish they were blessed like you. Since the angels stoop down and look and they wonder, what is God doing with these people? Why is he blessing them so much? Since God has done all of that for us, our response should be, to go all in for him. And how do we go all in? Well, it begins by girding up the loins of our mind and being sober and resting our hope fully on the revelation of the coming of Jesus Christ. What's it mean to gird up your loins? Well, in that culture, they wore long robes. And when they ran, they would tuck those robes into their belt so that they wouldn't trip over themselves when they run, ran. And that's what Peter is saying to us. He's saying, gird up the things of your mind. Gird those things up that will trip you. Uh, set your mind fully on Jesus Christ. Be sober. 
Be sober. Now, he's not talking so much about alcohol here, although that applies. He's talking about having a, a sober mind, a mind that is fixed on Jesus Christ. And that's really what he says in the next phrase. He says, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word rest might be better translate, translated fix. Fix your minds on him. Fix your minds on the hope that you have in him. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says we're to fix our minds on things above and not on things below. In 2 Corinthians, he says that we're to have the mind of Jesus Christ. Look at the next few verses there, verse number 14. Beginning in verse number 14, he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the form of lust is in your ignorance. But watch this now. now you're talking about a, a, a tall order, what, what he's about to say. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Wow. And because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. You know, that matches up to, with what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow, that's a tall order. Be ye holy as your Father in heaven is holy. How do I go all in for the Lord? You, know what I, you want to know how you go all in for the Lord? You be holy as the Lord is holy. You know, remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He, says, he asked them a question, do you love me? And they said, yes. He said, well, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Live a holy life. In other words, I went, in all, I went all in for you. You go all in for me. And how do you go all in for me? By being holy. The success of everything we do in our Christian life depends upon our holiness, how, how separated we are under Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't be an effective witness if you're not holy. You can't be an effective teacher if you're not at least sort of holy. You can't be an effective anything in the kingdom of God unless you be holy. And if you're not holy, your service is for naught. It won't do any good for the kingdom of God. Now, that word holy that, that is used here in the New Testament is also translated sanctified, it's translated saint, it's translated separated. It means, it means the same thing. All of those things mean the same thing. But there's three different words used other than holy for that Greek word. I mean, you're sanctified, you're made holy. That's what sanctified means. Saint, to be made a saint means to be holy. You're a saint if you're holy. I mean, the New Orleans saints are anything but holy. So I don't know where they got that name, but they're not saints. But you and I should be saints. We should be separated unto God. In the Bible, when we see that word holy, and we see that word sanctified and separated and saintly, it's given in three tenses. It's given in the past tense, it's given in the present tense, and it's given in the future tense. You were made holy. We're told in Hebrews chapter 10, by one offering, we have been sanctified forever. We've been made perfect forever. You've been made holy forever by one offering. So in the past, you were made holy. When God saved you, you were made holy. It's also in the present tense. We are being made holy. And it's also in the future tense. One day we will be made absolutely holy when we're given those glorified bodies. 
Well, your past sanctification or holiness and your future holiness are strictly a gift of God. You're made positionally holy in God when you're born again, and you're going to be glorified beyond belief when you make it to heaven. But your present holiness is a gift from God too, but it also involves your choice. It involves your choice. We choose to be holy. We choose to be obedient to God and be holy. And we choose, as he mentions here in this verse, not to conform, or in this passage, not to conform ourselves to our former lusts. We choose to live lives separate from this world. And if we truly are born again, we want to be like our Father. And so we choose to be holy. And if God went all in for us and sprinkled us with the blood of Jesus Christ so that we could be positionally holy, don't you think we want to keep that holiness as we live in this world, as we walk in this world? Don't you think we want to stay clean and pure and perfect the way God created us when he gave us his life, when he sprinkled us with the blood of Jesus Christ? And if you want to go all in for the Lord, you can say you're all in for the Lord. I hear people that say, I'm all in for the Lord. I mean, I, get, I love the Lord with all my heart. I hear that all the time. And then their lives don't reflect that. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you, if, if you recognize that I went all in for you, you're going to want to go all in for me. And you go all in for the Lord by being holy. And it also behooves you to be holy because the Father is watchless. Look at verse 17. It says, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. In fear. In fear of God. I mean, you're a child of God. So you need to conduct yourself in fear of God, recognizing that God is omnipresent, he's omniscient, he knows all your thoughts, he knows all you do, he sees all you do, and you recognize that. You know what? It's a scary thing to sit at a table, and you're playing poker, and the guy goes all in. Not you, the other guy goes all in. I mean, what do you do? I mean, here you are, you're holding a couple of aces, and you're, you're a couple of queens maybe, and he goes all in. What do you do? I mean, he's bet everything he has. He's put everything he's got onto that table. And now if you want to play the game, you've got to give everything you've got. That's a scary thing. And that's why you see people sweat. And you know, you know maybe their hand isn't so good if you see them sweating. Well, let me tell you what table you're sitting at right now. If you're a born-again believer, you're sitting at the table of God. And he's put everything on the table. Everything on the table. And now it's your move. What do you do? Well, it's a scary thing. I mean, do I, man, I run from this table. That's what a lot of people do. They don't want anything to do with a God that they have to fear. But if you fear God, and you, but yet you know what's your move, and what's your move? Your move is to do just what he did and match him and go all in. There's no way we can match what Jesus Christ has done for us. But we can, we can give all we have. We can go all in. 
And that's what he's waiting for us to do. In reverence to him. When we say fearing God, I think it's synonymous with reverence. Out of reverence for what God has done for us. We sit at the table with him and we see that he's going all in. And we say, maybe I need to go all in too. He's a judge who judges without partiality. And that means that that, uh, he's going to discipline us for our bad works and he's going to reward us for our good works. Now that's kind of interesting that it says the father judges. Because if you remember in John chapter 5 verse 22, remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that, that for the father judges no one. He's committed all judgment to the son. Well, which is it? I mean, does the father judge or does the son judge? The son judges. He's committed all judgment to the son. But remember what Jesus said? I and the father are one. When you get to the apocalypse, to that revelation of Jesus Christ, you're going to get to stand there at the Bema seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Is that not Shouldn't that cause some fear? And he could show you where he went all in. And if all you've got is a couple of little chips on the table, you've lost. You're not gonna, you're, it's all going to be burned up. Now, you'll be saved as to fire, but it's not going to look real good for you. He went all in. He put everything on the table. And you've just thrown a few chips out and, and thought you were matching him. That's not, that's not, that's not, that's not matching him. <laughs> So we need to to fear God. He's committed all judgment to the Son. If you make it to the great white throne judgment seat, then kiss your tail goodbye because you're in deep trouble. I mean, that means you're going to hell. You're in deep trouble. But who's going to be standing on that judgment seat, that great white throne judgment seat? Jesus Christ himself. And he's go, it's going to be him judging you, but the Father's going to be judging you through him. That's why I can say the Father judges. But that's, that's a real scary thing, that you might be sitting at the Bemis, I mean at the uh, great white throne judgment. But you know what? This passage isn't talking so much about the Bemis seat judgment or the great white throne judgment. It's talking about the here and now. God is judging you now. He's watching you now. This is present tense. He's judging every single one of us according to our works. He's watching what we do. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. And he's paying very close attention to your life. And you know what he's looking for? Have you gone all in? Have you gone all in for me, saying I went all in for you? You know, my boys, when they played football, I wouldn't miss a game for the world. And whether they got beat or whether they they won, that wasn't really the issue. I was there to watch my sons. I was there if one of them got hurt, I wanted to be there if they got hurt. We were there when Nathan tore his ACL. I mean, it would have been terrible if I'd been anywhere else. Uh, I was there, uh, you know, I watched them. It was almost like in my little world I was omniscient and I was omnipresent. I think they knew that. 
And I looked down and I, was, I could watch them. I could see them if they were on the bench. I could see them if they were out on the field. I could see them if they were standing on the sidelines. And I wasn't there to punish them or anything, but if they got in a fight or they argued with a referee or they argued with a coach, then they might have gotten punished. No, yeah, that, that really never happened. But, you know, when we came home, they would bring some of the kids over and we would have pizzas and that would kind of be their reward. And, and the reason they played football the way they played football and the reason they behaved on the football field wasn't because they were going to get pizzas, they were going to get a reward. It wasn't because they were afraid I was going to discipline. You know the reason they played hard and the reason they played the way they play? Because there were a lot of people out there at that game who were all in for them. And so they wanted to go all in when they played football. I mean, their, their coaches were there. Their coaches were all in for them. Their girlfriends were there. They were all in for them. The cheerleaders had their girlfriends. Kaylee was there, and she was all in for them. I mean, the fans were all in for them. Their, their co-players, their, their fellow players were all in for them, and so they wanted to go all in. See, God is watching over you as you play this game of life. And he's there for you. He's not there so, man, I'm going to watch them. If they mess up one time, I'm going to punish them. That's not what he's there for. He's there if you get hurt to help you. He intercedes for you. He prays you don't get hurt in this game of life. He's always interceding for you. He's watching over you. He wouldn't miss the game for the world. He sees everything you do. And he loves you. And he, he doesn't care so much if you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Are you all in? Are you all in? And, and, and we go all in for the Lord, not so much because we're worried he's going to punish us, not so much so we can get some rewards from the Lord. We go all in. You know why we go all in? Because he went all in for us. Amen. That's why we go all in. You think maybe he went all in for us? Look at the next verse. He says, he says in verse number 18, knowing that you were not redeemed, with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Why did God go all in for you? You know why he went all in for you? To redeem you. To redeem you. To pay, redeem means to pay the price. To repay. Pay the price to redeem you, not, not with corruptible things, not things like silver and gold, but with the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem you, watch this, from your aimless conduct. Better translation there, your aimless life. Amen. Your aimless life. That's why God redeems us. Friends, if you're here today and you're living an aimless life, a life without a vision, a life without purpose, God wants to redeem you from that. You're heading nowhere but eternal death. You're heading to the great white throne judgment seat. Well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If you, go, if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you aren't born again when you die, you're going to go to that great white throne judgment seat. And you can sit here and tell me, I don't believe it, but I don't care if you believe it. I do care if you believe it. You need to believe it. It's true. It's in God's word. But he came to redeem us from that vain life we were living. And man, 
from the, look what else he says here, from the tradition of your fathers. He came to redeem us from the tradition of our fathers. You know, I think primarily right here he's talking about religious tradition. The Jews had all sorts of traditions. I mean, their religion was all about traditions. You take a man like Nicodemus, that man tithed, he went to church Every time the church doors were open, he, he studied the Bible, he memorized scripture, he probably could have quote the entire Old Testament. He learned Hebrew, he learned Greek, he learned ancient Hebrew, uh, Kone Greek, he learned all sorts of things. And what did Jesus tell him? You must be born again. You need to be redeemed from your religious traditions. You know, I have people come up to me and they tell me, you know what, I, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm a Catholic. And my, and my mom was a Catholic and my dad is a Catholic. And I've been part of the church all my life. You need to be redeemed from your religious tradition. I've had people come up to me and tell me, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to heaven. My mom was a Baptist. My dad was a deacon in a Baptist church. I've, you know, I've gone to church ever since I was, was a knee-high to a grasshopper and I went I went to church every time the doors were open, so I know that I'm going to make it to heaven. You need to be redeemed from your religious traditions. Some of you young people that are here today, you're going to grow up one day, and you're going to say, oh, man, my parents went to Calvary Chapel. I, I know I'm saved. I'm going to Calvary Chapel. Uh, you need to be redeemed from your religious traditions. There's nothing wrong with religious traditions, but you better know the living God. You had better have the living hope of Jesus Christ in you. And then those religious traditions can be used for the glory of God. And, and the reason there's so much dead religion out there is because there's no living God in that religion. And that can happen in any denomination, any church, any person. And so he came to redeem us from the traditions of our fathers. And what price did he pay? He paid the greatest price you could possibly pay. God gave his only begotten son, the, the lamb of God, the perfect lamb of God without blemish and without spot, more precious than all the gold and silver in all the world. He gave the most precious thing you could possibly give, the most valuable thing he could possibly give. He gave his blood. And if you don't like the blood, you better start getting ready for the great white throne judgment seat. Because it's only by the sprinkling of the blood. How does God do that? I don't know. But it's only by the sprinkling of the blood that you can be born again, that you can have a living hope. We talked about this living hope. You, you know, a lot of people have religion. But you need a living hope. And you, if you have a living hope, you know you have a living hope. Christ lives in you. You know he lives in you. And without that living hope, you're lost. And I'm not saying that to judge you. I'm saying that to encourage you to, 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 to get right with God. And the way you get right with God is you get that positional holiness. And you get that positional holiness by coming to Christ in a very humble way and submitting yourself to the cross and receiving salvation. Then verse number 20 says, He indeed, Jesus indeed, was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in the eschaton. That's the word eschaton, last times. By the way, just a side note here. Watch these prophecy guys who use things when, 
when a teacher in the Bible or a writer in the Bible refers to the last times or the last days, that's the eschaton. You've heard of eschatology, study of the last things? When is the last days in the Bible? The last days in the Bible are the days between the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ, between his birth in Bethlehem and his second coming. Those are the last days. Now, the end times are part of the last days, but all the last days are not the end times. There's a big difference. So whenever you see this term in the Bible, the eschaton, the last days, from which we get the word eschatology, then beware of that, that it could be referring to something that's really ancient to us. It could be referred to 2,000 years ago because Christ's coming was part of the eschaton, part of the last days. But listen back to what he says. He says, he, Jesus indeed, was foreordained. You catch that? God foreknew. He was, it was his plan laid before the foundation of, foundation of the world for salvation but was manifest in these last days. And this was the first century Peter was talking to, but it applies to us too. For who? For you. For you and for me. I heard of one of these TV preachers. I don't know why I ever even listened to these people. But they were berating another preacher, calling them a heretic, Because that preacher had said that God knew that when he created Adam and Eve, that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He said that the guy who said that is a heretic. He said Adam and Eve had a choice and they made it to sin. God had nothing to do with that choice. He did not know about that choice. I think it's called the kettle calling the pot black or something like that, however that is, a skillet black. I mean, the heretic is, is that guy. Because let me tell you what, God knew when he created Adam and Eve that they were going to sin. He knew when he wrote you in the book of life before the foundation of the world and chose you in him before the foundation of the world that you were going to sin. All of us sin. He knew that. He knew we were any of us placed in the garden. Some people say, well, man, I wish it had been me in the garden. Oh, if it had been you in the garden, it had been worse. Trust me. (laughs) If it had been me in the garden, the snake wouldn't even have to show up. (laughs) We are all sinners. Yes, God knew that they were going to sin. He knew we were going to sin. And so he foreordained before the foundation of the world this plan of the cross. If God didn't know that, he's not omniscient. If he didn't know that, the Bible's a lie. Because it says right here, he foreordained before the foundation of the world. He chose you and him before the foundation of the world, even though he knew you would sin. Oh, is God not great in mercy? Is he not great in mercy? And that's why the last verse we'll look at here now. Who through him, who through Jesus, believe in God, manifest in these days for you, who through Jesus believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. If you don't have a living hope here today, if you don't really have Jesus inside of you today, you can't have him 
but one way, and that's through Christ. You have to believe in Christ. You have to come to Christ on his terms. And if you come to him on his terms, then he gives you his Holy Spirit. And you have that living hope. Faith is a gift of God, not of works. He gives you that faith to believe that you have Christ living in you. He gives you that faith to believe that he died for your sins. He gives you that faith to believe that he was buried on the third day, that he was buried and raised on the third day. He gives you that hope to know that Jesus has been ascended back to heaven where he's now in glory, the glory which he had before the foundation of the world. All of that comes through faith, and that faith is a gift of God. It comes through Jesus Christ, which this is what that means. If Christ is your hope, and your faith is in Christ, then your faith and hope are not in some ordinary man. Your faith and hope are in God. If God raised him from the dead, if he ascended back to glory where he sits at the right hand of, 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 of majesty forever and ever and ever, then he is God. So many people in this world got a false hope. Even people who believe in Jesus. If Jesus to you is only a historical man, or if he's some created man, like some people teach, then you do not have a living hope. Jesus is God, and your hope is in God. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, your hope is in the true and living God. The true and living God who went all in for you. All in. Scott O'Grady, some of you remember the guy, was a man who went all in for his country. Y'all remember Scott O'Grady? He joined the Air Force and learned to fly F-16s, and it wasn't long after he was flying those F-16s, that he was sent off to the Serbian-Bosnia War. You remember that war back in the 90s? And he was flying a sortie one day, and his plane was shot down by a SAM SA missile. And he parachuted out over enemy territory. At that point, our government had a choice. I'm glad they didn't do like they did in Benghazi. But our government had a choice. They could leave him there and let him fend for himself. Or our government could go all in and rescue Scott O'Grady. By the way, he's got a great book. He's a Christian guy. Really, uh, really good read if you want to read his book. Uh, anyway, the government went all in. And for five days, I mean, I remember watching it on TV. We wondered, are they going to find Scott O'Grady? We, did, we had all sorts of ships out there monitoring the situation. The Marines were sent into that area to try to find him right into hostile territory. This is where all those massacres were taking place. It was a terrible place to be. And for five days, they didn't know where Scott O'Grady was. But on the sixth day, they heard his rescue beacon. And they sent a couple of helicopters of Marines in 
to pull him out of hot fire at that time and bring him back to friendly territory. And he was rescued. Newsweek reported that not only had the lives of many soldiers been risked to save Scott O'Grady, but $6 billion in military equipment was laid on the line to rescue that one pilot. You talk about going all in. The government went all in. But that doesn't compare. That $6 billion in the lives of those men doesn't compare to what God did for you when he went all in. He gave his only begotten son. He shed his precious blood on a cross so you could be made perfect in him and be redeemed from your vain life. He died to give you purpose, eternal purpose, to give you vision and give you a dream, to make this life worth living. He died for you. And what should our response be? We should be all in for him. How do I go all in for him? I be holy as he is holy. I separate myself from the things of this world. That takes his power. We're kept by his power, Peter told us. But it also takes our choice. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, he says, the love of Christ constrains us. It's like the love of Christ puts a seatbelt on us. It constrains us. And we're, when we're sliding all into evil, we say, wait a minute. God went all in for me. And if I love him, I'm going to choose to stop this slide. I think about going in a place I don't belong. I know I don't belong in that place. Something I might watch, I know I don't have any business watching. The love of Christ constrains me. It stops me. I say to myself, you know, he went all in for me. Who am I to go into this place or do this? I begin to gossip about one of you guys. I'm talking really bad about you. And the Lord, the love of God, the love of Christ constrains me. The love of Christ says, why are you doing that? I shed my blood for them just like I shed my blood for you. I went all in for you. I went all in for them. Stop that. Go all in for me. Somebody says something mean to me or strikes at me. And my gut is always to strike back. But the love of Christ constrains me. I, I, hear, the, I hear the Spirit of God. The Spirit convicts me. 
I went all in for you. Are you going to go all in for me, George? Are you going to turn that cheek? See, if he went all in for me, I want to go all in for him. How do I do that? I do that by being holy as he is holy. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You won't make it here. You're going to get that in glory. But if you love Christ, that certainly should be our goal. That certainly should be our effort. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for what you've done for us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we, we can't even imagine where we were heading and what hell's like and what that great white throne judgment seat's like, Lord, and the fear that's there and the terror that's there and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, not only did you save us from that, Lord, you saved us from this vain life we've been living, this evil life. And you've put us on solid ground, Lord. You went all in for us and put us on solid ground, gave us a purpose, gave us a vision, gave us eternal life. Lord, give us the power, give us the will to go all in for you. We can only do that through Jesus Christ. And it's his precious name that I pray. Amen.